So that was a tough loss. Um, how do you feel after that? How the fuck you think I feel? Don't ask no dumbass questions. Honestly, though, you have played the game for a long time. Don't you have anything else to do with your time? Gaming Blues Podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is, I think it is episode 15 or 16 of the Gaming Blues Podcast. This will be, so I actually got to keep count on this. I think this is the third esports edition I did for the solo project. Because I remember talking about um, Riot's 10-year plan. And I then I ripped Blizzard a new one. I was in the latest episode talking about where Overwatch is heading and going. So this will be, I think, the official third episode of the Esports Blues. I actually changed the name. Well, I'm officially calling it the Esports Blues because... There are times when, you know, Darren and I can't always get together to record episodes. So filling in with these uh, topics that I want to talk on my own is good. But I didn't want to confuse anybody. That's just like, oh, it's another duo episode where it's just me rambling on for uh, roughly an hour or so. So what are we talking about this week? So this topic came up after or during the 2019 League of Legends World Championships. Um, as to its tradition, uh, traditional fashion, each team goes through a press conference. Usually they have one before a match. And this is preluding to, I think, they always have one during the quarters and semis and finals. And this was for the post-game conference. Uh, clip there super hard. Come on, Mike Filter, do your job. So this was for the post-game uh, conference after the match between uh, South Korea's SK Telecom T1 and the LEC's G2 Esports, where G2 won, which was a shock for some, but at the same time, G2 was the super heavy favorite to win the 2019 World Championships. Let me just check if that was true. G2 versus SKT. Yeah, November 19, 2019. SG2 won 3-1. Yeah. So I like watching these press conferences because A, that was part of my job when I was part of Action Esports. Mm. Um, when I was the video editor, the lead video editor, and one of the very few Koreans at the time that can translate. So one of my daily duties during um, any press conferences with South Korean teams was translating and transcribing and subtitling videos. Now, this particular post-game um, con uh, press conference, for SKT specifically, got a lot of attention. I wouldn't say it got a lot of hate. It got a lot of attention because a this was the first year that skt went through a gigantic um like a team overhaul the only remaining member was faker of course because he's the mascot and arguably the goat in league of legends um then they got newcomers 
such as Clid, um, Mata, Effort. Well, Mata's not a new a newcomer, but so newcomers they got Clid and Effort, and they brought in super uh, really popular players and strong players. Uh, such as Teddy, arguably one of the strongest ADCs in L LCK right now, if not the best. Um, they also had Khan, who was, again, in nomination for um, the best top laner in LC LCK. Um, and then you also had... Oh, no, that was it. That was it, yeah. But they lost. <laughs> That's the important part. See, SKT lost G2 won, G2 heading into the Grand Finals against FPX. And during the press conference for SKT after losing to G2 was, um, you know, the typical, I would say, the Korean um, defeat press conference where A, they will get super dejected. And B, and it will be very, let's say, awkward and very quiet of a press conference. As expected of... A, lo a loser's press conference. And this was the time where I think Koma actually showed like really raw emotion where um, he started to, you know, just a breakdown in tears because he couldn't deliver. I think a lot of expectation was on SK2 to actually uh, win the world championship again after losing to, well, no, they didn't lose, um, but like, Korea hasn't brought the World Championship title in quite a while. Well, not really. Um, Genji won the year two years prior, and then in 2018, IG won in Korea. And then this year, they lost. So that's an <clears throat> And eventually, China won again. So that's two straight years where the LPL, LPL has taken the World Championship title after years of Korean dominance. Um, but it was surprising to me that Koma actually shed a few tears in the press conference. Now, the reason that piqued this today's uh, podcast topic piqued my interest was a lot of the comment was saying a question to Faker asked by an ESPN reporter was quote-unquote dumb or stupid or a lot of why did he ask that kind of question now i'm assuming it was fion uh one of the espn uh, league of legends writers also like covering other esports um the i think the nature of the question was he uh, he asked the team specifically faker that why was his hand shaking after a loss against G2? Now, to me, that's not really like a dumb question, perhaps. Like, if he's really interested, like, why not just ask? But a lot of people kind of saw that, saw that as like, of course he lost. Like, but why, why would you ask that kind of question? Like, maybe he's like in anger. Like, you know, you can ask better questions. Like, what kind of journal, uh, journalist are you asking that kind of question? during a loser's press conference. So here's my thing. Press con asking questions at a press conferences, press conference and or asking interviews in a one-on-one -on -one with the esports player is one of the hardest things in like esports journalism, I think, in my opinion. 
And a lot of people who says like things like, "Oh, that's a dumb question. Like, why would you ask that?" So here's my, you know, topic going into you know, in, into all this. I find that there's no such thing as a right or wrong answer. Like you know, like oh, that that question is like you shouldn't ask that. Like there's no like objectively wrong questions. There's no there's no such thing, in my opinion, that as an objectively wrong question to ask. It can only be a dumb question. So to respect to Fion, he had every right to ask that question. Because that was genuinely what he wanted to know, and I think a role of a journalist or a writer is to find out information that the audience wants to know, and sometimes information that the people didn't even know they wanted. Like, how do you know if people didn't like really wonder like why was Faker shaking there? Like, what was the emotion he was going through? So at first glance, I kind of. See in the perspective of the audience. Yes, it's kind of a dumb question to ask. Like, oh, why are you shaking when you're losing? Are you mad? Are you salty? But at the same time, I think Fion had all the like all the right in his right as a journalist to ask that question. Now, I just want to go over like why I think asking questions is pretty hard. And luckily, I actually have firsthand experience interviewing league players. Uh, during the World Championship in South Korea, so I will share my experiences with that. But to preface this, that I th- interviewing itself is a it's a developed skill. It's not something you can just pick up and do. It's not as simple as just asking a reading a question off of a piece of paper, like that anybody can do. Okay, I gotta speak away from the mic a bit. Anybody can read a piece of paper, like a written question on a piece of paper to a interviewee. That's not hard to do. But you won't, you will not necessarily get the most effective answer out of the person if you only read off the paper. Um, take people like uh, Duncan Thorne Shields, for example. I loved watching his. Um, Ah, goddamn! What was the interview series called? Damn, I just watched it today just to review stuff. Ah, uh, no, reflections. Yeah. So Thorin ran this ser- uh, interview series called Reflections way back in like the early League of Legends days. Also, he's also um, covered a lot of CS:GO, Quake, and like he's called the esports historian for a reason. And if you look at his interviews, they are quite long, but for good reason because whenever he asks a question. He likes to explain and give like the context and the background behind what he wants to ask to the person, so that they can process the question and at the same time come up with the most detailed answer like possible. Instead of say, if Thorin just asked a like a really one-liner question, as opposed to actually explaining like why he's asking the question and giving like the background that leads up to his question. I'm pretty sure, like the answers the player gives, won't be as ex- effective. It's like, um, 
another example is like if you go into an interview and for a job and the employer asks you a question i think one of the most effective ways of answering a question is like you ask you ask the employer to explain the question to you again and at the same time kind of ask them like what they mean when they ask the question so if they explain the question more thoroughly you can give a more the answer they want basically because sometimes the meaning behind the question might not be comp- like understood right away and it's always good to kind of like review and kind of repeat the questions you know to for you to process the answer and give the most truthful and the most detailed answer you can <laughs> on a side note i'm kind of realizing i'm like doing all this like jazz hand motions while i'm talking and this is really effective i like it so going back to the press conferences it is bloody hard to actually put that into practice like asking the right questions and in an effective and efficient manner so here's how it goes down when it comes to interviewing at the world championship and this will hopefully give insight as to why it's hard to come up with like really good questions or you know like why some of the questions are seem kind of like offhand but i think there's a good reason for that so let's take a group stage day for example where league of legends um the format is it is divided up into four groups and there's four teams in each group now during the 2018 world championship um if a group let's say group a plays and they have up to 6 to 8 matches a day cuz sometimes they'll go into like double like they play each team twice and or some years they mix it up where like group a and b plays like the first round of games and group c and d plays on their set of games the next day and whatnot so effect so basically that boils down to around like six matches per day that means if you are a part of a media you have the opportunity to interview at least six times now from that point what i saw from there was uh full disclosure i was part of action esports at the time i was there to help my help the curb not my my ex um curry and lck coverage team and they had needed more people on hand so um and at the time i had like the most like knowledge of the league of legends uh, esports scene so i went there kind of to like help out and kind of give direction as to like oh, what kind of question you can ask and like oh what kind of how to have like what kind of camera angle and that kind of stuff so let me actually bring this up cuz it's better i think it's better to give a better example so 2019 worlds league of legends group a as an example what the frick right 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 okay i'm i'm seeing 16s per group the hell what's going on okay, let's see group okay that's the playing stages no that, that's 2019 i want the 2018 sir hang tight people hang tight 
See, this would be a perfect time for a you know, sponsor plugin, but I don't have any sponsors. So whoever's out there, I'm willing to show. All right, let's take this for example. So let's see, who did we interview? 100 Thieves, Invictus Gaming, Fanatic, Africa G Sports. Hmm. Okay, um, let's take Group B for example. So Group B had Royal Never Give Up, Cloud9, Team Vitality, and Genji in their group. Now, if they played in a day, oh, then okay, uh, let's do some to start. So Group A had Africa Freaks, G2 Esports, Flash Wolves, and Fung Wu Buffalo, and then Group B had Royal Never Give Up, Cloud9, Team Vitality, and Genji. So in a day, we could interview six players, six different players, depending on if, okay, so, oh man, it's so, so, so hard to explain. So the first few days are obviously where like they kind of mix it up. So group A and B plays and group C, D plays. And then the final week, final play in days before, like they go to the quarterfinals, group A plays all their matches. So, so sometimes we, we have the opportunity to interview like um, players from eight different teams, or we might have the opportunity to interview people, uh, players from four different teams. So, for the sake of example, let's say we are playing, we're we are interviewing players in the like the first few days. Let's start that example. So you have, I have, we have the opportunity to interview a player from eight different teams over the course of six games in a day. Now, before we go in, like the day, we, the team and I just like go over like what kind of generic questions we can kind of start with. And the generic question usually goes like this, or like, how did you feel after winning? Like, or if they lost it, how did you feel when you lost? And then if there are like specific standout moments, so like a play that gets noticed by the media team or the broadcast team, we can ask that like, oh, like, what was the shot call on that? Like, how do... Like who coordinated that kind of play? Like play specific questions, and then usually we end up with like, okay, you're facing such and such team next. Like, how do you feel about them? Blah blah blah. And if they're like a relatively new team, you kind of ask them like, okay, like your region has made it to like the world uh, world stage. Or how do you feel? Like, how do you think this like a boost to your region? Like these are like super generic like cookie cutter questions that you kind of ask to like fill, you know, the time block you get. And then, depending on the player we get, we ask specific questions um, if they have like a certain narrative tied to them. Um, like if we get anyone from Team, like anyone from Team Liquid, we might ask them about like the whole NA. Like, oh, okay, you guys are the best in NA. Like, how? What, like, is like how much pressure is on you? Um, like that kind of stuff. So the thing with the world championship is you get people from a lot of different outlets. You get outlets from Korea, like the Inven Global, um, like Ken, Mr. Kenzie from FOMOS and other people covering that site. Um, you get people from North America, such as ESPN, Travis Gafford. Um, that that specific year, Wild Turtle was there also making content for, I think, it's his personal channel or FlyQuest, either or. So he was there. And then you also get people from the uh, 
at the time it was called EULCS, but it's now called LDC. Um, people like Parks, um, Darius X Machina was there, and other like uh, some people from like German outlets were there. And then you got a lot of outlets from for the LPL and the Chinese and Taiwanese sites who were also there. So they're all they're all nice people. So one thing I noticed is that um, ESPN and obviously Travis Gafford, they get usually, I find like the first picks because they're a way bigger outlet on like really popular players. So like usually Double Lift was always taken by, um, I think Travis or ESPN. Um, like any other like really well-known players um, sometimes usually Uzi was taken by obviously like the LPL sites um, because they didn't really need a tra- translator. Um, so kind of like that. Like that's that's expected. Like usually the more people that has pedigree will get first pick. Usually, what happens is like a a staff member goes around to each team and kind of asks to like who they want to interview. Um, it can be anyone from the winning team or the losing team from that like the specific game that ended and who whichever player that actually wanted to do an interview so there was there's no guarantee that let's say if we're looking at g2e sports that caps will 100 do an interview win or lose like that's not a guarantee so all the media outlets usually just go by whoever's there like whoever like kind of offered to do an interview and you just like go through like a hierarchy of like oh who who gets like the first pick for the interviews um sometimes we get lucky and we get like a member of like a really popular team i remember us getting an interview with ole i think that was super neat for team liquid uh we also got to interview jensen when he was in cloud nine so like they're really um, good about like kind of dispersing like who gets who. But as I said, like since we don't know who's necessarily is going to be present at the interview, we can't really have like the like the preparation to ask specific questions. When the game ends and there's like the gap between like when they set up for the next game is about 15 minutes-ish. That that's when all the players kind of like settle down and like head to the media media area, usually like div- divvied up into curtains and whatnot. And the like the um the right staff member or the staff member at the uh, world championship will go ask around like the different media outlets like okay who do you want to interview I got this and this person. So from that point we have like. <laughs> five minutes just to kind of like go kind of figure out like what we want to ask and these interview sessions are not long i've i think the longest we did an interview was like because i kind of forced it to be long and i kind of got got some flack for making it go long but usually the max amount of question you can ask is like five or six and that's usually all the time we get because obviously you know, the, if they're if the players are playing again, they need to go back to their team and kind of review and like prep for the next games and whatnot. So it is really hard, even for ex- like, how do I explain this? Okay, let's compare our our outlet 
and let's say ESPN. We had three people. ESPN had six people, including like other freelancers who were brought on for ESPN, such as like Ashley Kang, um, and like other people. So usually they'll tackle their specialty. Like Ashley Kang will cover like the Korean LCK players. Um, good friend of mine, well, not, I know him online. Uh, Xander Torres will sometimes cover like the top. Um, damn, I still forgot the reason. Like the um, ah, like the Ty Ty Taiwan region, yeah. Flash wolves, flash wolves. <laughs> so things like that. So usually they have kind of like a what what to expect, and kind of ready of like what kind of questions to ask for a specific person because they're kind of like a specialized like specialty person for those players now on our end since we didn't know who we're gonna get and what team what like what team we're getting sometimes we get uh, players from the winning team sometimes we get uh, players from the losing team it was kind of a throw up I toss in the air as to like what kind of questions we get to ask Sometimes we got players that are relatively like unknown, uh, such as like G Rex Stitch at the time. He's a player that went from as an LCK trainee that went to um, the let's see the G, um, the G Rex, which is I think is a Taiwan region team. So when we got him as interview. I had to like look up his like background real quick and also kind of have to pay attention to like uh, do I remember any good plays by him like usually G-Rex lost their game so it's kind of like, like you start with like a generic like okay you kind of lost but how do you feel like what can you learn moving forward to the other games like how do you feel going up against these guys like how do you feel your team's doing morale's doing that kind of stuff and then you kind of like sneak in like the personal questions if you had time to like research. And that basically happens in all in the span of like 15 to 20 minutes, unless you do like a lot of prep work, which I guess some like the really hardcore journalists would do. They would actually like, you know, review like kind of like all the players that would be present or might not be present and kind of like, you know, jot down some like questions you can ask them. But I personally find that usually if you look at all these interviews outside of like the couple like um, person like personal questions and or like questions based on the narratives like a set by set by like the broadcast team and like the community. Most of the questions like they all start the same. They all start the same and they probably all end the same. So that is like ask, asking questions at a press conference is severely different than asking a question where you like kind of have the time to actually sit down with the player and you can like have all the time in the world to kind of preface the question so press like all these like one-on-one -on -one questions and even press conferences they're just like go 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 because you only have a set amount of time you can ask questions because the next ma next match will start and if you don't go watch the matches then you can't really formulate what kind of questions you want to ask so it's a really like you gotta be on your like high like high intensity all the time because you gotta watch the games, remember the specific plays by the players, and if you get you know lucky, you get to get like some of the players you want to interview. Then yeah, it turns out great, but 
if you throw in a curveball, like some, I think one time Fnatic, Fnatic, I think they like kind of declined any interview requests. So any prep that went into that just went up in the air. So we had to like kind of like formulate like other questions that we wanted to ask the players that were available. So it's a lot of like adjustment and being flexible to what's happening at hand. Because if you don't prep, then your content is not going to be great. But if you do prep and you ask the proper questions, they all turn out great. Speaking of interview questions, sometimes you can get answers from players that you might not necessarily expect. Um, I think the great example is so it, this goes back to like if you did like the proper prep work and you kind of have like the questions you wanted to ask beforehand rather than you know trying to like scrounge up questions within like that 15 minute period before like the interview starts then you can get some really good answers and i think people especially from espn like they have experience doing this so i think they're able to like really also they had like the manpower to do it too like they are specialized in their region and they, you know, they only have to like be responsible for that specific area. So I think they had a luxury to um, come up with like great questions. I mean, that's why ESPN is one of the, like, you know, uh, bigger League of Legends coverage site for the League of Legends scene. Now going back to my experience, the Genji team, after they rebranded from Samsung, was going through a bit of a slump after winning 2017. And a lot of attention was going to Crown at the time because people were pointing out that he wasn't performing up to his you know, the utmost ability because I think the meta was against him at the time. But a lot of the blame was going on to Crown specifically because he was getting outclassed by other mid laners. And after one of their losses during the days where Genji was like wrapping up all their games, I think it was like over the course of two days where Genji's group was wrapping up their playing games. So we got the in chance to interview Crown for a loser's interview. And I was really shocked that he actually wanted to do a loser's interview. But that really showed that he was ready to face, you know, all the criticism that's coming his way. And he wasn't going to back down from it. Unlike some players, like for like, all the rights to them that actually declines interviews, but... I find that that people who still comes to interviews even after losing and especially when they're under a lot of like um let's say criticisms as a, like a kind word from the community I think that shows a lot of character and it really goes to show that like they're handling this as a professional and it's kind of hard to demand that from players who are very still like they're they're very young still like the average age, I think, for League of Legends is still like 20 to like 25, give or take. Um, so during the interview, you know, like because they lost, I didn't want to like ask like the really tough questions. 
So I start with like the generic question as usual, like how do you feel about your loss? Like how do you feel Genji is doing as a whole? And I kind of like kind of sneaked a question in there where I said like, okay, like you know, like people are kind of criticizing you and like the Genji as a whole, like you guys are defending champions coming into this, like you're not doing as hot. Like how do you feel about that? And to my surprise, like Crown actually answered that very, very calm, very stoic in a way where he didn't flinch or anything. Like he just answered it very calmly. And, you know, the answer was generic in there along the lines of like, oh, you know, we can do better. It's like, no, we're just, we're not, we're just focusing on the next game. Like we still have a chance to make it out of the group. So we'll like make our fans and the LCK region as a whole proud. So, yeah, sometimes just like what you read on paper, especially for interviews, if they don't do video content, I think does not show everything about the player themselves. So things like this, like pleasantly surprised me. But that was also a hard interview to do because I was going back and forth in my mind. Like, do I ask the question about himself? Like, like, am I going to get flack for this? Like, there's also that thing like in the back of your mind kind of nagging it. And you're like, if I ask this kind of question, is like the public going to hate me? I mean, at the time, it was it didn't really matter in retrospect because like nobody read her channel because like our action esports at the time were more focused on Overwatch rather than League of Legends. So, but even then, I kind of like kind of pondered about if I ask him straight up that does he think he's a liability that's holding Genji back like that's I think that is also on the level of Fion asking like oh faker why was your hand shaking when you lost to G2 like objectively it's not a wrong question to ask per se but like subjectively it's kind of a you know iffy question to ask on one hand Fion's question is kind of stupid because like of course people will kind of get like you know angry or show like emotions after like a tragic loss especially losing like in that fashion 3-1 when you're supposed to be quote-unquote like the best team from lck and like the best player to ever play this game on your team and on on my end i could have asked a question where you know it might like hurt him like it's like like emotionally by kind of giving him the idea that, like, it's all his fault that their team is losing. And, you know, that might not sit well with fans. But at the same time, I was really curious to as like, you know, do you actually think about these things when you play and it's actually affecting your play? So it ended with that. And then the next day, Genji actually won their game. And luckily, we got a chance to interview Haru the jungler for Genji at the time. And you know, he he got MVP for that game and it was a you know, it was a much needed win for Genji because they're kind of like um on the verge of getting eliminated from the group stages. So it was one of those like, okay, how do you feel about the game? Um you got MVP, how do you feel about that? Um you know, this is like a much needed victory like do you think it'll be like a good morale boost for your team? Like generic questions that most people know the answer to. Yes, obviously it was a good game. Yes, it's going to be a morale boost. Obviously, we won. Like, why wouldn't it be? Um, it was kind of funny to see the hard didn't know he got MVP, so that was kind of cute. But then 
I thought this would be like a good question to ask him, like, how, like how does a team because especially because they lost their previous game, I think this was per, this was a perfect chance to ask. Okay, you lost your previous game, and then you come today get like the win you deserve. The question kind of prefaced it like, okay, like you won, but like how did you recover from yesterday's game? And then I kind of straight up asked him like. You know the community is kind of po- like pl- pointing like the blame on Crown. Like, does a team like think of the same? Like, is he the weakest link? Like, I didn't literally tell him like, do you think Crown sucks? No, that's a dumb way to phrase it. Like, do you think Crown? I, I literally asked him, do you think the opposing teams when they face you guys, like Genji, is Crown being targeted specifically because they think Crown is the weakest link? And obviously, um, Haru being. Um, a, a much more younger player, kind of like one of the shield crown. So he kind of gave the answer like, no, like if they lose, like it's mostly it's always on the teams, never specifically crown. And he kind of kind of went through like the this the crown wasn't affected by the loss at all. Like he's still trying to like do the best he can. So I kind of got the answer I wanted in per se on paper. Because I don't think no team will ever admit that, like, oh, like this player is like is the reason we're losing, or like this this player is why we're the weakest link. Like that doesn't really help. But you know, again, there's no such thing as a right or wrong question. There's only like a handful of dumb questions you can ask, and that was a dumb question. But at the same time. I was right in the sense that I actually wanted to know how Crown's teammate was feeling about, like Crown as a teammate, and his contribution to the team at that specific championship. So I think the conclusion I came to for about this entire topic is that I think timing is crucial when asking specific questions, but. It is super hard to do that at a do it at a press conference, and or if you have to do the interview on a fly on a player that you just got assigned like five minutes ago. So again, this is something that the journalists like when when they get good at it, it just becomes like a nature to them when asking like specific questions like a small、uh, time period. Think Travis Gafford is like a good example because he's been doing this for years, and every interview he does, he's the question he asks is I think、uh, meaningful, and he doesn't sound robotic when he asks. Yeah. So, so I guess what I want to say for the fans is like I know Fion can be dumb sometimes because I don't know. Personally, I like his work, but I think as a person, he's kind of annoying. Mostly because like the things he tweets is kind of annoying. But I think he is good at what he does, and like you know,、um, how should I put this? Like the question he asks isn't as dumb as you as people make it out to be. And on the topic of, well, I kind of go, I kind of went over this, like when I was talking about Crown, like how, 
I love it when players show up for a losers interview because I think this was also like kind of a debate that happened during the Overwatch League when they, I think it was when Soul Dynasty lost in the gauntlet and they couldn't make it to playoffs or they lost at the playoffs. And then I remember Ryu Jae-hong being backstage for an interview after the loss. And I remember him like breaking down in tears because obviously like he had a lot of pressure riding on him as the captain and then also Soul Dynasty aka Genji as a whole because they came in t- into this Overwatch League as the team that was supposed to dominate everything because they are composed of Lunatic High members who was basically the team to beat in Korean Overwatch. But they have failed to do so in every turn, and they actually haven't managed to win a single title. I don't think they won a single stage, nor a playoff, nor a season. That's how big this was. And for him to actually talk and kind of say his you know apologies to the crowd and the fans goes to show that you know he had the mantle to actually do it because some people like just refuse to talk about their losses and kind of like don't, don't want to show their emotions but Ruje Hong being the kind of like the older guy he is like even if he broke down in tears like he still had the guts to actually talk in front of the crowd and you know address his fans because I think that's a very important part of being a esports player in a sense that you also you have to be good at the game for one thing like mechanical skills and like the psychological skills but the fact that you're actually addressing the fans who are you know your supporters and who basically I should say like fund you I should or something like that like kind of like your moral support that cheered you on your way and like for a player to address them even the losses really shows that um like he is a very ideal player that company sought after because he has that public image about him like even after a loss he takes his responsibility as captain and also as a player to kind of give thanks and apologies to his fans even after you know losing once again now some people kind of saw this as oh like you're forcing him to to an interview after they lost but i seriously doubt that they kind of force him to do it i think if anything like ruji hong probably wanted to do it himself and Compared to what I've seen from some of the league teams where they refuse to do an interview after a loss, I think this as, well, at the time, as like uh, esports writers and as an audience or like an esports follower, I think that's better to see. And I don't know why you would actually get mad or even think that they kind of force him to do it. And this is something that kind of irks me from time to time seeing fans kind of like act like the players mothers in a way like oh think of the players emotions like why are you making him do that like why can't everyone just be kind 
if you're a professional, then I think it is your responsibility to do the part of a player, whether you like it or well, not not whether you like it or not, but like things like doing an interview after win or a loss. I think you should, and it comes with the job. I think. Even if you don't want to answer, I think it is good for you to actually, you know, voice, give your thoughts on what happened, and through that way, the fans can see that, you know, you still have the motivation and or you actually thought about what happened and you're like ready to improve on it, rather than being in complete silence, and you address it like a Twitter post. I personally don't like when players. I mean, it's just me, but I personally don't like it when players kind of like address the fans through a Twitter post. I think it's more personal if they actually like record themselves like talking about things rather than trying to just express their thoughts in like 140 characters or more. Because anybody can type a sentence on a keyboard and on the social media, but it takes a real person to actually sit. Sit, stand, sit behind the camera, and kind of articulate articulate their thoughts, and to address the people that they're actually playing for. This is also hard for me because public speaking and like recording this in one take is very hard. But you know, you gotta start somewhere, right? But that being said, yes. To summarize. Um. Well, for one thing, I kind of apologize for like going all over the place, but I think I kind of got the point I wanted to make. So the summary is: not everyone can be a great interviewer. It takes years of practice and years of like the know-how of how the scene works. And as somebody that just dropped in randomly one year after just watching all these content made, actually trying for myself. And with like the basic interview skills I developed from like、um, design school, this like it takes effort, and all respect goes to the people who actually make esports content.、Um, whether it be like all those news outlets, like、um, ESPN, and even like the smaller outlets,、um, respect to them because they're trying to. <laughs> Do things that are that is still relatively new, and they're trying their hardest to get the best answers and best information they can out of the players, so they can actually relay it to, you know, the community. And they might get super flack for it for asking dumb questions, or questions they think there's like it's wrong to ask. But I am thankful that there are people who actually. You know, to have the passion to、uh, design and execute a set of questions and interviews, so we can be happy with what the to hear what the players are thinking about. Yeah. So this actually ended way earlier than expected. Um. Uh, thank you for listening to another episode of the Esports Blues. Um. I think、yeah, that kind of felt good, cause seeing comments like that on YouTube kind of irks me sometimes. 
when they go when people go like oh that's a dumb question like why would you ask that it's like if i can make the make those people ask questions i would like this is a case of like okay if it's so if you think it's so easy like why don't you try it but it's not it's not something that anybody can do that being said this podcast is available on many platforms and popular ones including spotify uh, google podcasts um, apple music apple podcasts and podbean which this podcast is hosted on we're also available on other popular platforms such as iHeartRadio and Stitcher. Uh, search the Gaming Blues podcast on your favorite podcast platform and we should be the first one that pops up. Feel free to subscribe and leave us a review on areas where um, the dual podcast or the single podcast can, can improve so I can bring you a better quality show. Uh, thank you for listening, and hopefully I can come back to you with another esports topic. I think the next one I might cover is actually veering away from traditional esports and diving into the realm of the FGC, where my other interests lie. So look forward to that, and I will see you next time, listeners. Goodbye.